Welcome to the Boston Knotlight, where Nina Fister and Lauren Gill, co-founders of MagPR, a local boutique agency helping emerging brands and influencers gain exposure, build community, and achieve growth through public relations efforts. Each month, our Boston Knotlight podcast features candid interviews with local women entrepreneurs who are making it happen. Our guest today is Natalie Kogan, founder and CEO of Happier. She will be sharing her journey to entrepreneurship and tips to embrace happiness for growth. As creator of the Happier Method, Natalie is an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and published author. Her mission is to help millions of people optimize their emotional health through science-backed practical skills to thrive in work and in life. Natalie's book, Happier Now, was published in May of 2018. At 13, Natalie fled the former Soviet Union with her family and came to the U.S. as a refugee. She reached the highest levels of corporate success at McKinsey and Microsoft, and at 26, became the managing director of a venture capital firm. But she was burned out from juggling nonstop work and family responsibilities and ultimately felt unfulfilled. Her journey to find meaningful, lasting happiness and discovery of scientific research on emotional well-being led her to launch her own venture, Happier. Since then, Happier's online courses, training programs, book, and app have helped more than a million people live their best lives. So, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us here. It's always so nice to hear I your know. own I was like, amazing you read that bio. to my teenage daughter from time to time. Just like that. <laughs> thank you. That was worth the whole thing. <laughs> Our pleasure. Um, so today we're going to jump into how you've kind of redefined happiness to grow personally and professionally. But first, we'd like to understand how you started down this path in entrepreneurship. So can you share with us the quick backstory? Sure. And I think as uh, probably many entrepreneurs, uh, I didn't dream of starting companies when I was little. I did not walk around saying, I want to be an entrepreneur, whatever that would be in Russian. I can't translate <laughs> that. Um, I... Um, fell into it because I was looking for a solution for myself. And uh, we're speaking about happier today. Um, you mentioned a little bit, so I grew up in the former Soviet Union, which is crazy, by the way, that we're sitting here today. Two weeks ago, my family and I went back for the first time in 30 years since wow. we left to see my childhood home, which was epic in its own way. So we came to the U.S. as refugees. And I always start there because it was such a difficult experience. I mean, 13, I don't speak English. Everyone's making fun of me. Remember how kind everyone is in eighth grade, right? <laughs> Super compassionate. And it was a really difficult time and I thought that the way to not feel all that stress and anxiety and fear and sadness was through achievements and so I've always been pretty driven but it was like this extra shot that I was like okay if I achieve a lot of things become really successful take care of my family then I'll be happy and everything will be amazing like truly that way and I worked really hard for the next two decades some of it is in my bio and I did achieve a lot of things I was very proud of still am very proud of but none of them actually brought me any kind of lasting, not just happiness, but like a moment of contentment, right? Mm -hmm. Because anytime I achieved something, I would feel happy for a little bit, and then it would just pop, like a happiness bubble would just boop. And then my answer was, okay, just not doing enough. So I have to do more, I have to work harder. And eventually it brought me to a really difficult place. Personally, I completely burnt out, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And you know, I'm an achiever, I'm a doer. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't do anything. You know, we were talking before, we're all mothers. It was really scary to like not even be present for my eight-year-old daughter at the time, to like not be present for my team. 
So I was desperate. I didn't know the answer. I had to change something. And I literally stumbled into research on happiness and emotional health. And I have to be honest, whenever I tell the story, I have to be honest and say that my first reaction to research on happiness was what a bunch of BS. Mm -hmm. Okay? (laughs) Seriously? So, I mean, must tell this joke. They say Russians are good at three things. Suffering making others suffer, and complaining about suffering, okay? And this is only funny if you don't know the women in my family, okay? Just for fairness, I occupy third place. My grandma's passed away with the best. My mom's in second place firmly. But I'm right up there in third. Like, my natural happiness subpoint, which we all have, is really low. And so the idea that there was research, that there were things you could do that didn't involve, like, suffering and struggle and hard work, was weird to me, but when you're desperate, you open up to new things, and that turned out to be the beginning of this journey that I've been on, because not only did this research, when I read it and started to apply it, not only did it start changing how I experienced my everyday and what it meant for my relationships with people, but I realized that there are these simple science-backed practices that we all could put into action, entrepreneurs, leaders, moms, humans, and that I am the person who, and I wanted to bring these to people in a way that they could learn and practice them. And so that's how Happier was born. So it was born out of my own desperation to figure out how to have a moment of contentment in my own life. It's amazing. It's a great I know. Story. It's amazing. It's clear that sustainable, emotional well-being and self-care are foundational to what you promote. You just started talking yes. about it. But being an entrepreneur often involves risk and stress, as, yes. as you know. Yes. What made you decide to take that first leap to create happier, and what is one major challenge you've had to overcome personally as a founder? Our listeners Only one. We should talk for hours about <laughs> this. Those are the best stories. But it's a great question. So... The first thing I just want to, before I promise I'll answer your question, but Mm -hmm. I can't miss this opportunity to plug this for entrepreneurs. I, as a human being and as an entrepreneur, Happy is not my first company, would always put my emotional health last, and I had fantastic reasons to do it. I'm going to take care of the company first, let me raise this round, and then I'll invest in myself, I'll get sleep once we get this product out. Like I was this amazing martyr leader. And I think we celebrate martyr leadership. I have you have no idea how many entrepreneurs, obviously, I speak a lot and I have a lot of friends. These are the arguments I hear. And that was one of the biggest mistakes that I've made. It's one of the biggest mistakes I see entrepreneurs make. And so the place I want to start is that, and this is what I discovered, is that emotional health is not an extra, is not a bonus, it's not something you get to earn. It's actually a non-negotiable foundation if you want to bring your best self to build the best company. You cannot do it, right? So the thing I always ask is, like, think of your best day as an entrepreneur. And the best day when you got tons done, your team was cranking, you were really proud of the work you were doing, your customers were happy. How did you feel that day? Like, was that day when you came into the office and you were overwhelmed and stressed and exhausted and beating yourself up? Probably not, right? We cannot achieve greatness on a series of down days or stress days or days when you're underslept and exhausted. Mm -hmm. So to your point, entrepreneurship is so challenging. We don't have a choice but invest in our emotional health, but entrepreneurs are one of my toughest customers to convince that this is important. And so for me, what made me take the leap was noticing the changes Mm -hmm. that I was experiencing because it truly was night and day. And I want to pause here and actually describe what I mean by that. It's not that when I started to practice gratitude or acceptance or kindness, there are these five skills and these are some of them, that I became this like happy-go-lucky person, that everything was amazing, like this is a huge myth about happiness. Not at all. 
there's actually um, part of my mission in the world is to redefine what it means to be happy and emotionally healthy. The first I mentioned is that it's the foundation for doing what you want to do. It's not a prize. The second is that emotional health does not mean you're positive all the time. It means that you learn to embrace all of the different emotions you have as a human being and get through them with resilience. And that was a huge first change that I started to notice. In my case, I began with the practice of gratitude, which is one of the five skills that are part of the method I now teach. That was actually the first. It wasn't that I felt more joy. It's that when I would get to those moments of stress and overwhelm, those are words entrepreneurs are very familiar with, I would avoid going down that spiral, that downward spiral. And there's actually a lot in our brain that makes it very easy for one negative event to kick us down a negativity spiral because all of our brains are much more sensitive to negative stuff than positive things. And so thinking about emotional health as not just being happy-go-lucky all the time, but recognizing it's the source of resilience was for me the first huge difference. And the second, and this again relates to redefining happiness, I began to realize it was a skill. And so even when I was challenged, even when everything was off the rails, like every other hour, I don't know if you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> that's every other hour, right? That I had the set of skills, uh, like these anchors that could get me through the storms. And so that for me is why I took the leap. And ooh, challenges are so hard to pick. I guess one I would pick is that I so believed in the mission and I saw the difference in myself so clearly that it was kind of like, well, of course, it's gonna be, everyone's going to pick this up, right? Our first product that we launched was the Happier Mobile app, uh, which focused exclusively on gratitude. And we've emerged way beyond that now. But I remember like, People would use the app and then they would stop using it, right? Or they'd come to the site, they'd read some stuff, but they wouldn't do it. And I like I couldn't understand it. And so what I learned as an entrepreneur is to have humility and to recognize that I'm a really disciplined person. One of my like superpowers is my discipline and tenacity. Not everyone has that. People have crazy busy lives, right? And so we had to do more to educate, we had to do more to explain why it was important. We had to create more tools, not just the app. We had to create more learning tools to help people learn these skills that fit their style, right? Mm -hmm. Some people want to read, some people want to practice. And so that was one of the big kind of come to self challenging moments is to recognize um, that as entrepreneurs, we have to, it's this very difficult balance. We have to love what we're putting out there and be passionate about it. And at the same time, have a lot of humility to recognize that the way we're bringing it forth may not be working and we have to really learn what is it that is going to make that accessible for someone. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I'm not sure if you know um, Rachel Hollis because she's, um, she's an author and she's kind of in a, in a personal development, uh -huh. development space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she talks a lot about um, kind of listening to your customer base yeah. and and you talk about delivery for your product yeah. and your method and I think that's spot on it's just you know listening to the feedback of how people want to implement which brings me to my next yeah. point and question is really how so how are your clients leveraging what you've trademarked as the happier uh -huh. method to really embrace happiness for growth so obviously you just shared some examples but if you could be a little bit more specific with in terms of the methodology itself and sure. some examples. That's sure. Great. So totally. So just at a very, very high level, the happier method is a science-backed method to practice emotional health as a skill. You 
using these simple science-based practices so that you can thrive in life and in work, right? So that's overall. Um, and it's based on these five core skills of acceptance, gratitude, intentional kindness, the bigger why, which is your sense of meaning, and self-care. Mm -hmm. And each of these skills has underlying one to two to five minute individual practices, leader practices, and team practices. So that's kind of the method overview. And um, the way that uh, uh, people are able to experience it, our main focus right now is happier at work. Uh, we discovered, and this really grew out organically, you know, I would um, get invited to do a keynote or a big talk at a conference, and then, like, I'd have this line of leaders and executives who would be like, well, that was awesome. What do you have for my team? And as all entrepreneurs, I got tired of saying nothing. And so mm -hmm. I went back and we said, okay, how do we take the happier method and make it so that leaders can practice it, individuals can practice it, and then teams can practice it? And so we created happier at work which is a way for both leaders and big and small teams to practice these skills so that individually improve their emotional health skills, but also transform their culture. Because the way that I define culture of any team, team of two, right? Yeah. So there's two yeah. of you, it's a yeah. team. The culture of a team is the emotional health of a team. And so there's individual practices for people, and then there's team practices so that the emotional health of the team is improved. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're focused on and we're working with Huge companies, small companies, everyone in between, uh, both with the leaders and the teams to help them practice these skills. And the biggest thing that um, I say I'm passionate about, but I actually think I should go further and say I'm obsessed with, is taking emotional health and happiness out of this orbit of like, woo, fluffy feelings, right, which I think it unnecessarily has, and talking about it as a skill that you can practice. And how do you practice it? None of us have time for two off day offsites or retreats or, you know, those are fantastic. But have you ever gone on one? It's amazing. And then you get back and it's real life. Yep. And like all that inspiration is like whoop, out yep. the window. And so what the happier method, the signature of the happier method and the signature of what I am so passionate to consistently refine and create are ways to integrate the practices of these skills into your everyday that it takes yeah. one or two minutes, that it's part of your daily fabric. And that is what makes us really different. But that's how we're focused. So happier at work is a big focus for us. Uh, but for um, uh, folks outside of the work setting as well, so uh, obviously my book came out uh, last year. It has three grand different practices. Yes. Thank you, awesome. all the five skills. We have an online happier challenge, which takes you through all the five skills with daily practices. Uh, I created a program called Gratitude Daily, which is published by Sounds True, and it's a way that you can practice gratitude exclusively for 21 days. So there's different ways that we've created, again, to what we talked about, it, to mm -hmm. find people where they are and to let them access these skills where they're at. That's great. Um, and I can't not mention this, but I'm so excited about it. In uh, October, we're launching our first group for women leaders. It's called Elevating Women Leaders. Right. And it's a small curated group of women leaders, VP or above, or founders yep. and entrepreneurs um, that for a year we're going to go through the curriculum of the five skills, and it's all about the two goals. Of virtually, you mean? It's all virtually. Yeah, we'll have nice. two in person, East Coast and West Coast. Um, but it's virtually, and the purpose is the same as what I talked about, is to uh, learn and practice skills to cultivate emotional health and to learn skills to help you be an emotionally healthy leader so you can help people you work with do the best. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. I know that was so exciting to yeah. say. We haven't even, like... 
And this you may be the first time I'm publicly saying this, the guys. The perfect audience tuning in who would I probably benefit from I think this may be the first them. time because we're the first group where we've been yeah. inviting people that I just know women leaders. So, yeah, this is the first time I'm saying this publicly. That's, That's great. Awesome. Well, you'll definitely have to share with us the link for that because we can put it out on our great. social channels, you know, following the, awesome. the podcast. So that's that's awesome. Awesome. That's so great. Um, so you talked a lot about, you know, keynoting and you have such a large presence on social media, but can you tell us a little bit more about the most effective mm. marketing channel you have to land clients and how do you stay on the forefront of this evolving industry. Self-care is huge. Everybody's focused on self-care. Yeah. So it's a great question. I will tell you that um, my speaking is the number one paid marketing channel. And by paid, I mean I am getting paid and I get to be exposed to Mm -hmm. leaders that we then work with. Yeah. Um, I have so many friends and people are now reaching out to me to talk about speaking. Again, I did not intend to become a public speaker. Yeah. Um, In fact... My first, the first time I ever got paid to speak was less than three years ago. Um, And just as a fun, because it's milestones we're sharing here, I'm flying, I now speak regularly, Mm -hmm. and I'm flying uh, to Australia in two weeks to speak to 9,000 people. Wow. Um, And it's, and I say that with uh, the goal of giving people encouragement, and that is, Mm -hmm. I haven't been doing this for that long, but... Um, speaking is one of my gifts. We all have a gift. I am best when I get to speak one-on-one or one-to-many. It's how I uh, can both open people up, emotionally connect, and then give them something to practice. And so that is the number one channel for us, particularly yeah. for happier work. And I just, you didn't ask me for advice, but I know folks listening, because I yes. get so many questions about speaking. You d- I have a speaking agent. I'm represented by Harry Walker, one of the top two speaking agencies in the world, and they're amazing, and I love them. But you don't need a speaking agent. I did not have a speaking agent for a long time. I've only mm-hmm. been with Harry Walker for two years. People ask me, like, well, how do you start? And I'll tell you my two things. I was just talking to a friend who's a pretty prominent Boston entrepreneur, by the way, about this. The first thing is you have to let people know this is what you do. Right. Right. Okay? No yep. one can think and they're like, oh, I think she might be good. So you have to create your speaking topics. You have to think through them. You have to uh, tell people that you speak. You have to post about it. And the second is you have to start speaking and getting video footage of yourself speaking. And by the way, the thing I didn't say is just obvious. you got to work at it like a craft. You've got to be great. You cannot just be okay. And the thing is, it is a craft. It is a skill. You can't improve it, but you have to treat it that way. And... It's, I'm so grateful to have that. So that's a, the primary yeah. uh, marketing channel for us. And interestingly, you know, I have, you know, I'm, I'm 43. So I am of the generation that is kind of on the edge of social media, right? Yeah. Like I really enjoy Instagram because I'm also an artist. I paint and I just love Instagram being very visual. But I did not grow up with social media like in me. And so I used to be super skeptical about, is that a good marketing channel? But it actually really is, particularly for speaking. Because, and what I do on social, and if you go on Instagram and uh, follow me, you'll see this, I just share my life. I share how Mm -hmm. I am practicing these skills, that's all. Mm -hmm. And we've had a lot of leads for speaking come from that because people get to connect with me as an individual and then they get to see what it is I do professionally. And the last thing I'll say is I've been really surprised by LinkedIn. I was one of those people who was like, LinkedIn, what? Like, who cares? Like, it's like, I don't have a resume. I don't get traditional jobs. I'm an entrepreneur or whatever. It's a huge 
focus for me. It's I found it uh, both a place to um, publish content that gets really great engagement, to connect with people mm-hmm. for speaking, for happier work, um, and just a really like much more living and breathing platform than I think it used to be. Um, so that's a like a big plug for me is LinkedIn. Yeah, I think. Well, you obviously have two different audiences. You have a yeah. B2B play and your B2C play, right? right? It's because you're going right. after an individual and going after businesses, right. potentially. Mm-hmm. So I think leveraging, I mean, Instagram's definitely, I think, evolving to be more B2B yes. now with all the advertisements yes. and sponsored content yes. and stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's still very much a consumer, kind of a consumer platform. And the right? thing so. I just want to say on that, because you're absolutely right, but it's interesting within, like, the team, we talk about this a lot. I think... The B2B, so like our company leads, if you would, they really want to see the human stuff. Definitely. So on LinkedIn, I try not to be polished. I'm a little bit more polished, but I try not to be. Because I think what what everyone is attracted to, not just in us, but in everything, is just a little more realness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the B2B, totally, it's good to know like who the client is. But the messaging, I find, is actually converging versus becoming for sure different. Yeah, authenticity. Yeah. It's all that everybody is kind of talking about, you know. Because that's the thing we crave. It is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right, so rapid. <laughs> your face. I'm ready. Rapid fire question time. So we'll just do a couple questions. Great. Whatever you're thinking. All right, so what is one of the things you would put on your bucket list? I, I have a bucket list. It's not written down, but it's in my head. I would love to go to South America. We travel so much. I don't know why we haven't been, but I love the music and I love the art and yeah. I love the food. And so I'm saying it right now. The universe will hear me. And I'm sure that, <laughs> hey, we'll, let's have a, well, we'll have a speaking engagement. There you go. Fly in Australia. Who do you admire the most? Uh, the, my parents are the people that I, um, and it's right at the top of my heart right now. I talk about my parents as my heroes a lot, and I mean that very genuinely. I live two miles away from them in New York. That's why we moved here from New York City. But going back to Russia, we went back with them and my husband and my daughter, and just hearing those stories again and reliving that again of just this incredible challenges that they lived through, Mm -hmm. and yet through all of it, they maintain their will to like live and live life fully. I think it's so admirable. So definitely, describe yourself in three words. <sighs> okay, um, vivacious, colorful, and highly impatient. Love it. <laughs> um, what is one of your weird quirks? I cannot stand it alone. I can't do it. I can't not do it. I can't do it. You should see my husband and my daughter, and we're, like, going somewhere. So, like, I love museums. I mentioned I love art. I paint. So, like, we'll be going to a gallery, and they, like, see sort of a gathering of people outside. They're like, okay, don't you want to go get a coffee? <laughs> and I'm like, why? They're like, well, there's, like, that great coffee. Because they're trying to, like, get the tickets before I see a line. I don't know what it is. It's definitely something to practice. But I, like, waiting in a line. Yeah. It's not just the impatient. I just can't do it. So I just, I just can't do it. Also, I can't handle a mess. I'm a super neat freak. Like, annoyingly to myself. Sometimes. Yeah. Like, sometimes I, like. slightly type A. I'm sli- I am in many ways type A, but not, it's funny, like my husband will tell you, I've, I've changed a lot, I would I say, I feel like I've unfolded a lot just for the last few years of taking a lot of this work and doing it internally, yeah. so I'm a relaxed type A. You're a happier I type A. I'm a happier type A. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Last question. What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Oh, that's easy. 
Well, like, so let's just like take a shower. I brush my teeth. I go for a walk. So one of my daily anchors oh, is a five-mile daily walk. Yes, I took one today. It was 85. It felt like 120. 1,000% humidity. It was Good brutal. So I don't like it when it's that humid. The challenge for me is in the winter in Boston. Like, I really yeah, don't fine. like the cold. But that's one of my daily anchors. That's one of my daily self-care practices. And I started doing this a few um, years ago. I just did something on Instagram about it. And it's life-changing because there's all this research, by the way, that taking even a short walk, you know, mm-hmm. five miles, five yeah, to ten minutes walk in the middle of the day dramatically boosts your mood. There's all these health benefits. But the biggest thing for me is it helps me start the day with myself yeah. before all this other stuff comes in. Email, like even my family, who I love very much. But you know, like first thing in the morning, I am not like talk to me person. Yeah. So daily walk first thing in the morning, that's my like, that's my zen. Awesome. awesome. Thank you for sharing. Well, I know we're almost out of time, but if you could leave us with a one-liner piece of candid advice for any entrepreneur who's just getting started on their Mm -hmm. journey, that would be a great way to close. I, for me, it would be always remember your bigger why. Right. And I want to just take a moment and just articulate what I mean by that, because we talk about meaning a lot and why, and obviously I'm not the first person to bring it up. What I mean by that is very tangible and very concrete. So I define the bigger why practicing the sense of meaning is how do the things that you do in your day to day, those, those tasks, the to do's, how do they contribute to something other than you? your customer, your colleague, your family, something, a a greater mission you're on. And as an entrepreneur, it's so easy to get lost, right? We all have a sense of purpose. Of course, we would never start companies, but it's often, and I know it was for me, for most of my entrepreneurship entrepreneurship journey, it was like this abstract idea. Like if anyone asked me in an interview, I could tell you, but I didn't practice it daily. And for entrepreneurs, it's so overwhelming, the journey and the to-dos are so overwhelming that it's not it's non-negotiable for us to practice daily. Mm-hmm. How does what I'm doing, this tough, annoying, difficult thing, how is it helping contribute to my bigger why? And the best way to do it, I actually have this practice that I'll share. I call it a to-do list makeover. And it's not just for entrepreneurs, but for entrepreneurs in particular. So look at your to-do list. Pick a couple of to-dos. The best ones to pick are the most annoying ones or mm-hmm. those ones that have been there for like three weeks that you keep yeah. writing and rewriting. <laughs> yes. Okay, so pick one of those. as well. Mm-hmm. And ask yourself, who does this help? And then actually answer that question. Mm-hmm. The answer may be my team, my colleague, my customer, a friend, somebody else. Actually answer the question because that's when we connect to our sense of meaning. We connect something that we do, our strength, to helping someone else. Mm-hmm. And if you practice that daily and tangibly, it becomes your source of resilience, which whew, without that, we can't make it. That's I love that. Well, thanks so much again for joining us. Um, This has been fantastic. We definitely would love for you to share um, your contact information Mm -hmm. for our listeners who might be interested in connecting for speaking or to um, purchase your book or or do happier work for your team. So I'm super easy to find. It's Natalie at Happier, except Natalie spelled funny. Or in America, it's funny. I didn't know how to spell it. (laughs) N-A-T-A-L-Y at happier.com. And I'm Natalie Coden on most of the social media that you can possibly think of. Amazing. Thanks again. Thanks for having me.